welcome to BitStorm, a comedy game design podcast by two guys who know nothing about comedy nor game design. I'm Ben Slinger, and with me as always is Trevor Scott. Hello. Hello, Trevor. What are we doing today? This this is a game design podcast, Trevor. Have you forgotten? We're gonna we're gonna do some game designs. Yeah, cool. I think what we'll do is uh we are going to jump onto what3words.com uh and what this is, is a service that will give us three words based on our latitude and a longitude. We're going to get a random set of three words through that. And we're going to turn that into a game design. Mm. So, uh, let's do it. Baritone, blossoming, unmasking. So, this immediately brought me to The Masked Singer, which I have not watched, but I'm just tangentially aware of. I don't know if there's a game there, but baritone and unmasking. Maybe this could be some sort of theatre thing, maybe a bit more around like Phantom of the Opera-ish kind of, you know, people on, singers on the stage wearing masks. Okay. Uh, so how would that work? Is is it better off that it actually works as a, um, like a multiplayer sort of thing where you've got people watching or is it, better off this is okay we could go a little bit arcadey with it perhaps there's some sort of competitive singing mechanic we can come up with where the better you perform like you push the other person off the stage with your presence or something okay so it's kind of like um if you go back in the day early <clears throat> Early PlayStation, there was a a few of those sort of music games that that were like Parappa the Rapper and stuff. Yeah, that sort of thing. Or I'm trying to remember what the other one was. There was one where it was sort of like a fighting game, but you were you were like dancing and stuff. But I'm thinking it's like a fighting game where you're singing each other, but it's all about keeping keeping to the beat. And you know, it's Is, are you saying if people are physically singing? Uh, no, not necessarily. Maybe maybe there is some singing aspect to it, but, like, then you're just going to have- Occasionally you're going to be- Well, occasionally you're going to be against a shit singer, and it may put you off. Yeah, right. So- That's an interesting thing, singing as a distraction as well. Mm. I mean, all, all I need then is just to start singing and you'll be turned off straight away. Like, you'll be like, oh, oh I, can't, I can't stay on stay on note because, like, he's not staying on note. Maybe, blo- maybe with Blossoming, maybe instead of on stage, this should be about, like, singing to your plants. Ooh, a botanist Growing game. Growing plants via singing. It's kind of like a... A game where you're a botanist, you're in you've, you're in your greenhouse, you're putting things together, like caring for your plants, and as you as you sing to them and and you know sort of play play the different melodies while you're watering them and that sort of stuff, you can actually help imbue them with different powers. I almost, I almost like the idea of well, yeah, I like the idea of learning different songs, but that the different songs will have varying effects on the different plants. Mm. So that you kind of have these area of effect powers that come from your singing, but you have to, so it, it, it adds some strategy to where you plant different types of plants. Because if you know that, you know, and this is dumb, but if you know Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, 
just to name a song, really helps the violets grow, but the cacti hate it, mm-hmm. then you don't put those too close together because you know that that's kind of your key song that you've got for boosting your violets. Yes. Okay. So I'm thinking that you can give them additional properties based on the sort of uh, singing that you're doing. And these sort of properties are, you know, a little bit out there. Yeah. I think we can go a bit fantastical with this. Yeah. So sunflowers, like if if you're singing like a bright, happy song, you actually give them the, the power to light up. And mm. and actually illuminate. Well, that's fine. but but if you're if you're like doing nightshade sort of stuff and you and you sing something a little bit darker, then you know it can actually do almost like one of those D and D darkness spells of you know extinguishing light. Or it just, and- I mean, yeah, or or it just means that the sunflowers are going to dim or like change in color or something. I do like the. I very much like the idea of strategically placing your plants and and that then they also interact with each other. So I like the idea that you're growing in a place where the only sun they get is from sunflowers. So you need sunflowers that have enough range to like give the plants that need a lot of light enough light. Mm-hmm. But also then you do have these songs where at times to, you know, to help- yeah, to help your nightshades or whatever, you need to sing some fucking heavy metal. <laughs> some well, metal. I, I was thinking um, for like wattle, you could sing power metal, and that actually gives it, you know, the it gives it the the, uh, the ability to. Well, it, it gives oh. it the ability to generate power, hence watts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do like going literal. Yeah, so that wattle. Sort of thing. Wattle gives you gives you power, and you if you power, do power metal. If you do power metal, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is this more of a like an automationy sort of game in a sense of why the fuck not? Like, I do like a flower based automation. You've got like Venus flytraps that are like grabbing things and moving them, mm-hmm. um, or like catching things or something. But only if you're playing the right music, and it's. Yeah, so there's also this music element to it. Well, and so I think in this case it would it couldn't just be around you personally singing. You you would have to get the ability. Oh, well, maybe there are certain plants um, that can mimic your song. Like you basically set them up with a song, and they will like an orchid or something. Orchid like orchestra, maybe mm-hmm. an orchestra. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when you plant those, they will emit that music constantly. Yeah. Um, you could also use... Uh, I think you can also set up, like, areas where in this particular area in your power plant, you can just pump in constant power metal through... Yeah. Through, like, uh, speakers and, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those, well, self-sustaining things that... You can actually power the speakers off of the off of the power of the, off of the bottles. But what you got to do first is you've got, you've got to kickstart it. You've actually got to yeah. got to get in there, get and in see there, it. <laughs> built out a couple of um, couple of uh, lines from. I don't know. I'm I'm just expecting like Pantera, <laughs> like early Pantera from from like bust out some cowboys from hell or something. Well, before that, 
like their power, oh, their the power metal the, right, album. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like that idea of yeah, like a, like a, what a lot of good automation games do is you know at the beginning you kind of have to manually do things a lot, uh, and so yes, you do you manually sing some power metal to your waddles so that you can give you the rest of your network a power boost to get other things going. But once you unlock certain things or once you get to a certain point, you can set up a little system to, uh, to automate that to a certain degree. And yeah. That, that I like the going. idea that when, when, you know, the power sort of breaks down, you've got to go back in there, kickstart and that, that gets the power sort of going. And then you get into the next room and you got to maybe hit play on the iPod or whatever you, whatever you got powering that particular room. And yeah, well, you can go all out with some of the automation stuff as well. Like if you, if you really do this as a very systems based thing, and I'm thinking kind of across between, you know, obviously satisfactory, a bit of, uh, oxygen not included. Like they've got a lot of, um, sensor-based, like, logic gates and different things. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if you even bring plant- Like, is your whole system- Do they- You know, do the- Is all the power through vines that you actually have to grow, essentially, and, you know, it's all this plant-based system. So, yes, you can have speakers, but they're, like, pitcher plants or something. I don't know. Like, what's a- What's something that's got a big open- <laughs> It looks a <laughs> bit like a trumpet or whatever. <laughs> But they require this this power, which you know is is technically in just energy for the plants or whatever. Yeah, um, all connected by these vines or these roots. But of you, course, you've got to have you got to have water going. You well, know. then you've got water, so you also yeah you have to keep all the things watered to the right degree, which of course you can eventually also Auto- automate. But you can overwater you know, yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's got to be, you know, strict schedules and all this sort of stuff. And well, then you get to the point of like, oh, you can, again, if we're doing it all plants, you can plant something that when the moisture gets to a certain level, it like outputs a signal along the root vines or whatever, which can <laughs> turn off the water for that se- section, you know. But I kind of like the idea that you've also then got to be careful about like, aphids and other other pests that come in because yeah. they can actually damage you know your power plant and all that sort of stuff it it sort of brings it into a different thing of of maintenance as well as automation well and which that's is- something that i know you, i know you haven't really played this but that's something that oxygen not included does quite in quite a good way where it has all these different systems that are just into that just then work together and interlock in very interesting ways. So like they brought in, you know, fairly early on a whole germ system and just everything can, you know, has a certain property about it where a certain amount of germs will stick on it or whatever, or, and then obviously certain things will generate germs like, and then you've got areas where you can remove germs. Mm -hmm. So you could have that sort of system just built on top of like, all right, we've got, yeah, we've got pests. You know, this plant is more resistant to this type of pest or whatever. This plant will eat this type of pest or, you know, um, repel them or whatever, you know. And and then you can build that into some of the systems you've already got and, and balance that out to say, like, you know, oh, they do repel it, but they need, you know, a boost of power or whatever to be able to do so. So that ties then into your power system. You have to make sure that, 
that your power system doesn't have pests because that will lower the power output, which will, you know, disable all of your repelling plants or they won't do as good a job, you know, some mm. really cascades yeah. in that way. And you have to create this really nice automated system to keep it all going. I kind of like the idea of you go into the power, the power plant, uh, yeah. um, sure. and have to, like, you keep on seeing this one snail that keeps coming back and, like, taking huge bites out of out of like the vines and all this sort of stuff and it's yeah. like you finally get rid of it and it's like you think that you're fine you come back like you know five minutes later and the snail's back it's sort of like sneaking in it's like ah, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, i'll get the salt out <laughs> it turns yeah. around very slowly <laughs> <laughs> but again i i think i think and and i'm not i'm these sorts of games require quite a soft touch when it comes to the design, I think. But to me, it really is that um, that pattern, that process of stuff that you can initially do manually that you then sort of automate away, which then unlocks more things, but also gives you just the ability to sort of expand and do more powerful things. Mm. And so even, yeah, like having snails or whatever that come and eat your vines and do different things. Initially, you just have to run around and fucking kick them to get them out of there. But eventually, yeah, you have some sort of cactus that its spores act like salt. So every time they bloom, it like pushes out a circle of salt <laughs> in a certain, certain radius and those snails will come. Close. Yeah, like- <laughs> Or a mushroom or whatever, like a fungus. Um, that does- bring up the idea of one thing is do these plants just like spread their seeds and bloom and blossom and and create new versions of themselves that you have not planned out <laughs> is that yeah, another thing so, you have and to so deal it with? can actually cause issues where you know you got to be careful with about weeds as well because mm. those seeds can sort of get into the air conditioning system and you know plant themselves and you you need to be very careful that Oh, you don't want that that weed in in the wattle room because a strangling weed will actually, you know, yeah. take all the water away from the wattles and then you don't have anything and you've got to spend more time in there. It's a little bit more maintenance mode, but which I know that Satisfactory itself doesn't uh doesn't have nor ever plans to have a maintenance sort of stuff. Like there's never going to be, you know, Stuff yeah. where the machines can I break down. I also watched that recent video. Uh, <laughs> Which I think is great. Like, the fact yeah, that they I, did that. I, and, and their goal is for it to be a very chill kind of thing. But I, I do like this idea of... I do think that this sort of plant-based thing brings a lot of opportunity for varied mechanics into this sort of automation game. And I'm picturing it in a very satisfactory kind of 3D-ish mm. way. I can picture the, like, lovely greenhouse reflections and you can have your ray tracing in there Trevor <laughs> I don't want it this time oh you don't want it now okay no alright three, two, one words Trevor give me some words roadhouse misinform roadhouse hamming hamming yes mm, to ham someone yes very common verb a very very common verb but I know I saw Roadhouse and I'm like, ooh, kind of thinking like Midwest Roadhouse just off 
off the yeah, side of a what highway. Even is, what technically is a roadhouse? Is it just like a bar or a or a in in Australia store? In Australia, it's typically like a roadhouse is just somewhere where the, where the truckers can sort of stop off and and yeah, get like fuel a truck stop and, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, okay, I guess that's what. It, yeah, and in in America, quite often a roadhouse is that sort of bar thing but more for the truckers than coming yeah. coming through and all that sort of stuff like it's it's a place that they can get a meal it's, they a, can it's essentially have a, some entertainment and a place in between other places yeah for 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 entertainers and stuff for entertainment and stuff yeah i mean i really like the idea of i mean obviously roadhouse is a very uh it's very cool moving setting movie uh, with I haven't seen the movie Swayze though, right? Um, but Swayze, yeah, yeah. Uh, he plays like the bouncer for for a roadhouse, and I'm thinking, yeah. taking that idea of having like you're not necessarily managing the roadhouse, but you're you're having to to keep an eye on the clientele that's sort of coming through and and make sure that they're not getting too rowdy and all this sort of stuff. While yeah, so we could go a couple of ways with it. Obviously, it's a pretty prime location just for stories, yeah. I think, because you've got a lot of different people coming through, but then you've probably got your regulars and you've got the, the employees and, and that sort of thing. So, we could just use it as a setting for a narrative. Or, yeah, it could be interesting to do something a bit more systems-based where you are kind of having to sort of monitor the space and see where a fight might be breaking out or- you know, drug deals might be happening or, you know, different things uh, as as this sort of security guard or bouncer for the place and then having some interesting just dynamics between the people. You could still have your regulars and stuff, but it's a bit more like you, you could even procedurally generate these people in a way where you sort of do a, a rough outline of the the trucking routes that they have or where they you know where they live and how far away they live to determine how often do they come back and then determine some personality traits and so you can start to get to know some of these people and know oh shit like Johnny's coming in and we better watch him after he's had his fourth drink because you know you've you've um, you you know that he's got the trait now of you've you've unlocked the fact that he has the trait of violent drunk or whatever and his childhood bully, Billy Bob, has just changed trucking routes. Mm. So he's now going to be in on that same night that he's in, like... Yeah, so you're like, oh, shit, like, this is going to be a constant thing because their routes overlap. But it's yeah, going to be, cool. like, every like week and it's like... Johnny may be in twice a week, so may Billy Bob, but it turns out that every Wednesday they're both in t- at the same time. Yeah. And... Yeah, I do I, love that idea of procedurally generating relationships, relationships, and, and then having them play out, uh, and then being able to expose that to the player in ver- in various ways. Yeah, uh, I like the idea. Kind of what happens from what I remember in Roadhouse is that uh, Swayze is sort of like a drifter who comes into town, takes a job up as, as a bouncer. So he doesn't yeah. have any connections to the, to the people in the town. Yeah. But, um, you know, he sort of builds friendships there, but yeah. in this case, it means that as you have people come through, through the town, they can have relationships with each other. They don't necessarily have to have relationships with you. So that, that allows yeah, you to that create could be another interesting aspect 
So, so this brings something to mind that I was reading about lately, which is this idea of storylets, which is a way mm-hmm. to essentially architect a narrative game. And it's interesting to me because it's actually something that I kind of came up with independently, not to the degree that I've been reading about it. But like 15 years ago, I wanted to make this like life stories generator where uh, essentially anybody could write a little bit of text and then maybe like a picture that will go with it or whatever. And based on the conditions of like the story at that point, like the age of the person, how much health they had, different things, it would allow a particular um, little piece of story to be told. And then that story could have a couple of decisions in it and whatever, you know, and those decisions could then have an effect on the state of the story, which would then alter effectively what other, what other stories were available. So this has since become a thing. I don't know if you know Fallen, I don't know if you know Fallen London. Did you ever play that? No, no. It's like a web based sort of text thing, but they used a lot of this. They called it quality based narrative because the cards that were available to you were based on the qualities that your character had, which could be any number of things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the reason I go into this is because I feel like this sort of game could be interesting like that, where you do have these procedural relationships and then essentially the stories, the storylets that are available that might be picked randomly on a particular night can come from- the relationships that are available there. And then those people are essentially slotted into those stories. So you can have some nice, some written narrative stuff where it's like, and this is based on another talk that I um, read recently as well, actually (laughs) around procedural generation, but if, you know, even this run of the game and on this night, you've got um, someone with the trait of violent drunk, someone, two people who have a, you know, um, unrequited relationship between them and uh, a, you know, bartender who is a punk or whatever, like certain certain things, then that allows for this particular story to be shown. And those people who you may have had through other all other sorts of stories get put into those roles of that yep. story, essentially. And then that can play out and that can be written by a writer. So that means you're actually getting some some interesting narrative beats in there but the ones that actually come up are, yeah, based on this much more procedural thing. Uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this game is really ripe for doing something like that. Yeah, especially because you you sort of would get to know these people and mm. sort of you you go, oh, I it's Wednesday, Billy Bob's in tonight. You know, it means that. You know, I'm going to get extra tips because when he gets drunk, right. he gets he opens his wallet up and yep. starts you know throwing money around everywhere because he just got paid. And you can have these little sort of things of <laughs> of these stories, but then to, to have that written stuff as well that they can be sorted mm. into. Like it may be that you know it just so happens that um, this is the first time that Billy Bob and Charlene are in the same room, and you find out that. Billy Bob's the one who actually knocked. He's the one who knocked up Charlene, and you know it's. Yes, I feel like we're being, (laughs) and I know this isn't technically possible, but I feel like we're being racist against uh, like Southern or Midwest Americans just with the names. Uh, But yes, I think (laughs) I just come up with names because 
I, you know how bad I am with names. I can't come up with them on the on the fly. I'm like, I'm just thinking. Okay, what's something? Oh, Charlene the Loop. <laughs> it's fine. They're not. They're not a particularly oppressed demographic. I don't feel. I don't feel like it's a huge problem. Uh, we maybe we are maybe stereotyping slightly. Uh, but no, I, I yes, I very much like that idea of. You have you do have these just procedurally generated things where the AI is essentially creating just st- standard everyday interactions between all these people in this bar, but then you do have these written story moments which can be. You, it's almost a bit like the Left for Dead director kind of thing, yeah. But not in the way of like oh like they're not doing too well, so don't throw too many zombies after them. But it's more like oh we've got an opportunity here to push the narrative or to, to to shift a relationship and it knows that okay what what have i got to choose from all right here's this story he hasn't had a fight yet tonight therefore we can bring these two characters in because this could be fun like to yeah well you could do it that way as to well, have him to break up a fight and then um yeah. the next night it's like here's some narrative stuff that we uh we haven't done narrative for a couple of nights so therefore we can we can add this story beat in and well and you could you could even you could have those different storylets tagged in different ways where it's like oh we don't really have a romance subplot in this run yet so yeah we're going to bring in that Billy Bob and, and Charlene haven't seen each other for ages and he knocked her up 3 years ago but actually it's going to end up with them getting back together yeah or because he had the loose wallet thing and he wasn't paying his child support she gets right. really angry and yeah that that just becomes a new a new version for that story that that doesn't always yes, happen. Well, that's it- the thing. You could have them essentially be branching based on traits of the people involved or different factors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I that that'd be fun to build. Yes, um, and then doing it in a nice like three D ish way because again, doing that you could almost. It almost doesn't matter if, I mean, you'd need to decide at certain points if things play out differently, if the player gets involved or not, or if they're literally just something that's happening that the player can observe. But if you're doing it based on this large pool of storylets, it almost doesn't matter mm. because you can just have things that are happening and the player might not even see them. But all that happens is those relationships behind the scenes shift a bit. Uh, so maybe some traits get added or removed from people. I, I'm just thinking that even DLC could literally be uh, kind of like in The Sims, where it's like now we're going to add hobbies. So all yeah. these all these people now have a randomly assigned hobby, and they may bring that up in conversation. And it's like, yep. And now there's a and there's a ton of new storylets, or we've updated a bunch of the old ones so that there are new branches essentially for oh if one of them has this or they both have this hobby then there's a new you know romance ending to that storylet or something yeah or that or there's a new friendship that blossoms between these two bullies you know this bully and this bully or whatever you want to call yeah. it like the bullied person but the fact that they're they've now actually got the same hobby you could get a different ending to that story instead of them kicking the shit out of each other and one of them ripping the throat out of the other one because yeah. yes that uh, Oh, there's a whole combat system. Patrick Swayze <laughs> actually rips a thro- rips a <sighs> fucking throat out in in that movie. Yeah, I, like that's something that I wanted that I would love to dive into and just see if we could build out. But yes, th- it, there is 100 percent a a fighting system. 
Sorry, that that's something yes. that you you need to actually well, be a bouncer, and, I, or, and you need to be able to. Well, that's it, and I, and you could either you could have it go in a few different ways. You could have it that you could just essentially attack anyone at any time. You know, you could be a shitty bouncer. Maybe it gets you fired very quickly if they didn't have any. You know, if there were if the situation wasn't appropriate for you to actually to grab them and throw them out or beat them up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you could have aspects in these storylets where it's like, you know, again a branching thing like. A fight's going to break out if the player's around and breaks it up, then maybe it ends this way. If the player doesn't intervene and just lets it happen, then maybe it ends this way. Or if if the player has previously ejected this this character, it goes down this this route. And yeah, exactly. You can base you can do all that stuff based on on previous stories that have played out as well. Effectively, these characters have got these huge, you know. Well, just builds up this history then. Builds up this history of what's what's happened in, the, in their past and, you know, mm. what you can add to these people that could could then coalesce in stories in weird and wonderful well, ways. Well, that's the thing. Because- then it becomes very emergent uh, and you could play it over. I mean, you could, it'd be, for one, it'd be interesting to start a new run, get a whole new set of people, new names, new faces, uh, and new relationships come in, but- just playing that same, like that initial run, there's almost, it almost doesn't need to be an <laughs> end state in a way. Because real life doesn't end, it continues. Doesn't it? You just. You keep on I mean, going maybe, until you maybe get fired. You have a goal. You, get, you yeah, keep on going till you get fired or you quit. And well, then yeah, that's the end you have, of your exactly. run. Exactly. Maybe you have a goal where, like, the player's trying to raise enough money to get out of town or something. And so, but, you know, this job doesn't pay that well. And. But, you know, every night you, you get a certain amount of tips and you get different things. And you busk on the side. Because that's that's the uh, that's the other DLC that we well, added that's, in. I was going to say, that's another <laughs> one of the DLC. <laughs> it add, it, like, if, if you've got a Guitar Hero guitar, well, we added it. <laughs> so, the challenge, I think, with, uh, with a game like this would be how you neatly expose enough of the underlying mechanics as in what traits do this does this person have you know even if they have to be discovered to be able to for the player to be able to remember them uh because you know chances are they won't necessarily remember when billy bob walks in that he opens his wallet after four drinks uh even though you've seen it a couple of times you know you kind of do need a way to present that to the player so that they can reference it so, I don't know, maybe you have, like, bouncer vision or something. You can kind of get a little <laughs> get a little Terminator vision of each uh, each character who comes in to, to see what you've previously discovered about them and what you know about their relationships. But, no, I really like that idea about the Roadhouse game. I, I don't even care about the other words because it's just, it's so cool. Like, I don't even remember what they were, so it doesn't matter. Misinform and hamming. Well, we'll just have one story where you get to hit someone with a ham. It's like the... Christmas <laughs> it's the Christmas story when you when you play on Christmas Day. <laughs> okay. Uh three to one movie. Okay. So for those who are joining us for the first time, this is where we each get a random movie from the from a movie database or the movie database. Uh and we will choose either just the title or the description or the whole movie to maybe come up with a you know, game tie-in for the movie, or just use it as a prompt. Hmm. 
So, I have Wedding Days, D-A-Z-E. Okay. And this seems to be a 2006 romantic comedy with Jason Biggs. And is that Isla Fisher? I think it is Isla Fisher. Hmm. Project X. Ooh. Uh, 2012. 2012. It's about the big party. High school seniors throw a party to make a name for themselves. I don't care about that. I like the idea of Project X. And it's like, it's... It, just a mystery sort project of, of some kind. Mystery project. Wedding days is kind of cool as well. Like, could there be like a project? I was going to say we could maybe combine these. Yeah. yeah. Something to do around a wedding. And, uh, I mean, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of like a romance story that involves this like government project like supernaturally or super, like sign you know alien or some sort of conspiratorial project that maybe one or both of the people in the relationship are involved in in some way okay how this opens it it opens on the wedding like the i do's happen mm-hmm. and then in the middle of it like it sort of turns around and you see something like shimmering at the back of of the of the chapel or something like that. Okay. And through a portal steps like this big hulking monster sort of thing. I object. <laughs> and then you know it then cuts back to you know how the how this couple got together and what's what's this objection about and Right. I, know. I, mean, I was joking, but you think that so there's actually an alien coming through to stop I, the wedding. I was yes ending your your, <laughs> <laughs> your objection. I was gagging. I was gagging. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well I mean I think it comes down to what sort of game this is as well. Like what do we want to what do we want to do with the is is it just a sort of adventure game kind of thing? Or, you know, is this a just because you said The Sims before, is this like a Sims-like game, but under, like, on the basement level, you're you're building out a whole government lab as well, because actually your wedding hmm. is just a front for... Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of combining The Sims with, like, a XCOM sort of um, yeah. secret underground project, you know, like, team that are going out, but it's but it's a little bit more around the relationships happening between these these people okay that's an interesting mix because XCOM already sort of has a bit of like you get attached to your soldiers a bit and whatever but they don't have relationships between each other and then being able to actually build out this base and you know almost in a bit of a I've been playing Evil Genius 2 with my son recently and Mm -hmm. you get to like build out your barracks and the, the armory and different stuff but yeah, having to build, like, the research area and whatever in this underground secret bunker, essentially, of this secret government organization that's going out and hunting, I don't know, aliens? Yeah, or, but I, yeah. I like the idea that some of the, some of these relationships, like, obviously, you are going to lose some people along, along the way. Yeah. You, you're going to have, like, 
um, maybe this husband and wife from the wedding. It just so happens that this is just a wedding between two NPCs and your actual uh, your actual character is the is the monster that that sort of put his put <laughs> well, his arm up uh, yeah. and it just well, so happens. Are you thinking that, it's- that we continue with the XCOM thing and actual? Because I was thinking like, okay, you've got your base. You're building that out, sort of sim style. I, I you think have the wedding your people is sort living of there. set halfway through the half, halfway through the actual game, kind of like we right. we open on the wedding, and then it's like the monster raises his hand and says, "I object," and then you see where it all started and where their relationship started, and you see some things happening. But it's also the how do you make sure then, uh, like, because <laughs> I'm because th- because what I was thinking is that okay. Like in XCOM, you're essentially the director. You're like you're I kind of like the, the idea that your your main character uh, makes it back from from these things, but it may lose the red shirts along the way. But okay, the red shirts so are essentially a little bit more- your character. Your character, like the main characters, can't be killed as such. But they, you can- they can be taken out of operation for a while or whatever. Yeah, I do like the idea of. Although this makes it difficult if you're showing the cutscene first, because I was thinking, like, they could have scars or, like, they could have lost an arm or, you know, that you could have different things. You could have different things happen. So, even though they can't die, they can still be changed mm. in these ways. I mean, I guess you could just, when you get back to that point in time in the main game, it just looks a bit different because, oh, actually, they've got an eye patch and a <laughs> prosthetic leg. You didn't notice that before because you saw you saw the- you saw the object from behind, and you didn't actually right, well, notice. That's it. That- maybe, maybe in the first cutscene, they're out of focus or something, so that you can account for. You just have to have like close-ups on the ring, and then yeah. close-ups on the veil, and you know well, the flowers. Honestly, though, and- in that case, in that case, you could make it that you don't need to have main characters. It's just whoever has a particular rela- relationship by the time you get to that point in the story, those they are the ones who mm. are getting married. Yeah, I do like that idea of... I, and again, you know, this is obviously a little, little bit similar in a way to the Roadhouse game we just did, but just where it's a lot more about these procedural relationships between people, but you still have then these tactical battles like in XCOM where they, they're going out, you're giving them orders, they've got their skills. So I think... With with the XCOM, XCOM battles, there was a couple of things I didn't quite like about. Mm. Like, y- yes, you do need some, um, you know, turn-based things, but uh, there was something about those those battles that seemed to be heavily in the aliens' favour and all this sort of stuff. So I'd like to sort of bring it to a more balanced... Yeah, there's definitely an interesting... Because no, I mean, I, I not only it, the fact that they always knew where you were, and therefore they, they yeah. And I mean, there's obviously going to be an imbalance between whether you actually, you know, hide things from the aliens when you make when the computer makes their decisions. But I agree; like, it can be quite frustrating sometimes in the XCOM games when you know, oh, you've got a ninety percent chance to hit someone at point blank range and you miss or whatever, like those sorts of things. <laughs> Yeah, so so I I sort of change up some of that stuff. Like, I think the only way that you could miss at that sort of level is if there's like a great dodge skill sort of thing that 
Well, yeah, if they're like basically an agent from the Matrix or something. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually see them do that. Um, I mean, if you actually check my Steam library, I have all the XCOM games there, and which is kind of weird because you wouldn't think that they'd be a game that well, I Well, was- you're generally not a turn-based strategy or tactics kind of However, I have great memories of playing those games when I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. I kind of... I probably remember Terror from the Deep a little bit more than than the first one, but I kind of want to go back through them and see what they were actually, uh, what they were like. And I remember, yeah, I remember you know sort of liking my squad, and then they, you know, two or three of them got killed in one in one hit, and it's like, oh my god, I've just gone through the last fifteen missions or whatever. And so I think what would be interesting with a game like this is lean into the relationships both within your squad and that you as a player have with them. So I think you need to do a couple of things here. You need to make it harder for them to die. Like this, you know, you want them dying being a horrible thing, but you don't want to be losing someone every three missions or whatever. I think have their relationships affect the tactics. So if you've got two people who are in love you can have whether it's just one of those things where, like, if their if if their partner is in danger, then they will run in to try to attack the person attacking them without you being able to control them or something. Or you you give, or you give something to the player in the fact that if you foster this relationship and actually you get rewarded for if this person now protects this this other person or yeah well that's true you could also you could say that oh this person's in danger they can actually run like two extra squares to protect them and you'll get, you'll get a like nice reward got- because you know yeah. um you get x amount of you know relationship points on on this sort of thing so you kind of get that that option just to uh, yeah. but i think it, it being a timed option that it's sort of like You've got mm. sort of like two seconds to decide. Um, gives that urgency to it of it's got to be a split split second decision. You decision. need to make it now. Yeah, just to sort of to sort of bring across that idea that of urgency. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then the other thing is, uh, I think having strong effects. So, like, did you ever play Darkest Dungeon? No, I didn't play a lot of it, but it. It had things where you like your uh, characters could have trauma that would just affect them permanently, like it would create permanent effects on them. And in that game, they were often bad, and you were balancing up, you know, different things. But I think having that where they where you essentially that your characters change enough over time that you do have that shared history with them. Then mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, they've got that trait. Of, you know, they can't aim as well because that mission where they got shot in the eye and having, you know, having that, sh- that history there that is based on your actual playtime yep. of that run, uh, sort of, yeah, really adds to it. And obviously a lot of them would be bonuses as well or whatever, like, you know, oh, they actually can run faster permanently now because they got, they, you know, three on three different occasions protected one of the people that they love and now, you know, they're just sort of, they're, they're a protector archetype of some kind. Mm-hmm. So we didn't actually go through, what was, what was your favourite 
out of the XCOM games. Like, just the one I think the one I've played the most is the first reboot. Like XCOM Enemy, do they call it Enemy Unknown when it came out again? Like ten years ago, twelve years ago. Um, the one that came out about 2010, 2011. Yep, Enemy Unknown. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I played the most. I remember playing that a lot when I was in Canada. 2012. Played, yep. a, little, played a little bit XCOM 2, which is what, like 2016, 2017 or something? 2018? You know, 2016, yep. Yeah. And then I, I kind of like, they did a recent one, uh, Chimera Squad, which okay. was uh, a bit different. That was, you had this particular, and actually that one was where you did create a bit more relationships with the characters directly it was more kind of like they were like a SWAT team almost it was like you'd pick an entrance and come in and it was much more interior combat and stuff that was kind of cool Mm -hmm. Uh, I should go back and play that some more three to one movie yeah let's do another movie hmm Eye in the Sky The Backup Plan okay Fuck the story that it's about. The backup plan is pretty cool for an eye in the sky. Yeah, I like that combination. Yeah, I mean, this this story is about, like, a drone operation with drone pilots and stuff. Yeah. Um, But we don't need to do that. Well, I kind of like the idea of the eye in the sky is like a satellite. Yeah, like some sort of monitor, like some sort of um, public, like... uh, Watchdog or whatever. What what am I trying to think of? Surveillance. Some sort of surveillance system. And when it goes haywire, you know, the backup plan is sort of brought into into effect. And I kind of like the idea that the backup plan is just a guy. And it's like... (laughs) He's just really good at looking at people. No, I'm thinking the backup plan is it's gone awry... We need we need to take the surveillance down and like the backup plan is literally just a guy who whose job is to bring it down. Oh, I see. So I think of think of it as sort of like an AI has taken control of this right this surveillance thing and so and then it's like a bit of an Armageddon situation where we're just sending up the one guy who we know can get this job done. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what I'm thinking is that. Uh, in this in this world, plans A, B, and C have actually uh, been tried and failed, been, and been you know sort of defeated by this by this AI. Yeah, and so they they bring in the backup plan, and the backup is plan this, is, is just this maybe a situation where, in the way that when Y two K happened, all the old like. Fortran and COBOL programmers got paid so much to come out of the woodwork and fix all these legacy systems. Yep. That essentially this surveillance system has been in place for 30 years. It's gained sentience because it's been gathering all that information about the human race for that Mm -hmm. time and storing it in its databanks. And you are the, you were the last woman alive who who, who, you know, was an expert in fucking JavaScript, the last language that was used to... It hasn't been used in, in decades, and nobody's skilled in it anymore. They've all died off. Uh, 
or whatever it is um, that this AI was essentially written in because they need someone to get into there into its base code mm-hmm. on the satellite itself because it's the only way they can get a connection into it. And so, yeah, you've got this situation where you're not an astronaut. You, you're essentially just a software developer and, and it's you about developed the trip up this there. And- when you were 23, so you're currently 53. Like, this is almost like your first well, thing that you developed out of uni. Well, I don't even know if you developed this thing. I think you just know the language, like, you know a bit, you know, the most about the language it was written in or, like, something around the the data structures used or something like that, right? You weren't necessarily even involved. It might even be, like, a secret government thing. Nobody even knew it was out there. But now they have no choice but to tap into the last, you know, known JavaScript developer. Uh <laughs> I'm going to keep going with JavaScript. Okay. Uh, So, it opens on this lady, like, feeding her her grandchildren, like, toast and waffles and all this sort of stuff when a phone call comes through. Yeah. And she answers and- No, I don't do that anymore. (laughs) And she goes, oh, I haven't haven't thought about JavaScript in, in many years. There's just no market for it anymore. There's, there's been no market for it since the... Ever since, since the great cryptocurrency crash of 2024. <laughs> brought down the whole internet. Yes, I, I I can free up some things this morning. I can I can come on down to the, the prism. <laughs> the prism. <laughs> I, I, I just like the idea, instead of the Pentagon, it's now like a prism, you know, it's actually... Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you get this introduction and they, they bring her in and they tell her the situation and they're like, we need to send you into space. <laughs> like, you need to go to this satellite because we have lost direct connection with it. But these AIs may be like talking to them. It's maybe communicating with them itself, but it's got, it's gained sentience. It's gained control yep. of itself. And she's going, but... Why? Why did you come to me? I stopped being a developer like oh, 20, 20 odd years ago, <laughs> and they're like, the AI has killed every other developer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not just that like nobody's used it in so long, and and they've all died. Oh, it's literally they've been murdered. Yeah, every single one. But she. The only reason you haven't been murdered is because so many men took <laughs> credit <laughs> took for your credit work. Credit for your work. It was only it was only by your uh, unfiled HR requests for that uh, we were able to track you down. From all the horrible, toxic companies you worked at over the years. <laughs> to I mean, make it up to you, well, maybe we can send you into space. If you do this one thing for us. <laughs> if we'll you do this one make thing it worth for us, while. which is going into space, we can send you into space. No, no, no. Again. But for, but for <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> but for pleasure this time. Yes. Maybe you can go visit Moonbase Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I like that... <laughs> sort of a lot of the game then is the trip there and you've got again and I feel like we're going very just relationship heavy and I think it's procedural this time but in a narrative way you've got the astronauts who are helping you get up there 
uh, you know, who are actually obviously piloting the ship up and doing all the astronauty stuff. But the whole time you're going up, this AI is communicating with you too. And so you're learning about the history of it and, and getting to know it. And, you know, you potentially, by the time you get there, have some decisions to make about whether you actually want to shut this thing down. I, I kind of think that the AI is somewhat under underestimating you as well. It's like, you know, because mm. you're the only one that they could find. Like, you, you, yeah. you don't yeah. even come up on my radar, like- had they had they not reached out to you, I wouldn't I wouldn't know who you are. Yeah, well, again, because what do you it's, think you because can do? It's whole <laughs> because its whole history is based on the what's on the record essentially. Yeah. yeah, you fly completely under its radar, and and so there's almost that conversational piece of, and I think it's a it's a written thing of this AI is is literally thinking that you are no threat because, yeah, you know, it's just going to be able to. Like at any stage, when she's buy just you like, at the airlock, like, and she's just like, you've <laughs> underestimated me, like so many men <laughs> in my career. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like the idea that she gets there, she she takes out like a USB stick, sticks it in the um, sticks it in the old USB port, and the whole thing just shuts down, and she takes it out, uh, and, she- and not only does she stick it in there. First go, she first gets go. it right way around. First go. <laughs> um. And then it's then it's like literally it, she she gets back in the shuttle and says, "Okay, we can go." Yeah, like that's the climax of the whole thing. She's already written the whole thing. Like <laughs> she wrote it on the way up. Yeah. <laughs> you think there's going to be some big thing on the you know some big showdown or whatever? No, nah, it's just like getting there. That's the, the injection. The- <laughs> <laughs> just uh, i'm just imagining that like oh yeah i just i just i use this exploit that i knew that the javascript was built based on based on this and there's been an exploit for that for ages yeah, why know, do you think i, I asked it. why do you think i asked you like what year it was developed and what version of <laughs> javascript does it running on like it's been known why do you think there's no javascript written anymore <laughs> it's full of holes <laughs> I, I I just went in and had a look at what CVEs were available, and it's like, oh yeah, I can I can use this one, this one, this one, this one. Okay, I've got three different yep. USB sticks, and the first one worked, I just needed so. <laughs> I just needed direct access to the to the computer. Because- Thanks. We can go. <laughs> she flies back down. <laughs> she fucking just jumps out and flies away back down because now she's just this badass it just makes her own way back through the atmosphere um, and lands they're, they're, superhero they're pose they're next all to there, her grandkids and, and they've got you know guns there and all this sort of stuff you know they're, they're expecting you know that the that the AI has created like robots <laughs> or something just she's like, just like <laughs> she's like what what materials AI? do you think like, this thing has available to it it's just connected to the internet like it couldn't have <laughs> I think you would have noticed if they even had managed to fire any rockets up here to provide it with robot building materials I mean yes it did use microwave attacks to kill all those people but oh, I, w- I was more thinking that just managed to manipulate situations or something I mean I guess you could have it that it was getting control of Systems on Earth or something, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> it just underestimates. Racist like, takes a bit. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I actually just use one of those USBs that you plug in and it just overpowers it because it's got one of those super batteries in it, you know, one of those huge capacitors in it. <laughs> and it just fries it. <laughs> it's just got a load testing thing. It just fires a million requests at it in a short period of time. <laughs> it asks it a question. What question does it ask it? Um and it's just like one of those rhetorical one of those you know well it's javascript so, so it asked questions. we asked it does the string version of one equal the numeric version of one and it couldn't figure out <laughs> how to cast it into the right type be- <laughs> because every time it cast it it cast the other one to the opposite one <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh boy let's go one more let's go one more quick one i think Force of execution. Ooh. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Okay, with with a with a name like Force of Execution, who do you think stars in it? Oh, okay. Uh I'm I'm gonna guess like either a Van Damme or a Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was good. That was going to be my first guess. And I was like, ah, oh, it's too obvious. But then I had to be the guest boat. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, so Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, I haven't actually seen it, but I, I've seen the Simpsons references to it and all the other ones. It, I, I do like the idea of a game where everyone's trying to find something. So it's kind of like the movie Rat Race. Yeah, Rat Race is almost a, a remake a of it, homage or a remake of yeah. yeah. Cause, so the synopsis here is a group of strangers come across a man dying after a car crash who proceeds to tell them about the three hundred fifty thousand dollars he buried in California, and then they all go. It follows them all as they all go looking for it. Okay, multiplayer game. Mm. Open world, like obviously there's there's a map that. That has been given. Yep. Everyone starts in the one position, and they're all given the same clue. Okay. And they all just start. They just get in their cars and go. And it's all all about cars. You've got. Is there? Are you allowed to attack the other people, or it's just around like finding? You you can sabotage their cars. You can. Okay. You can't kill them as such, but you can slow them down. You can slow them down. But, of course, in doing so, it might mean that you don't get to the clue, next clue fast enough to keep up with, you know, the yep. people who just managed to sprint off. Okay. Because I, I can see this working kind of like, I mean, we've, we've been playing Sea of Thieves and there's yes. a few different, like, monuments that you could have around this area. Early, like, in the tutorial level, you're sort of taught about all the different sort of places and um, you've got, like, an information spot that you can go to and say, around this area, you can find this, 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 and this. And it's like, it, it t- mm. tells you all about the different monuments. Yeah, so I think that I think for this to really work well as a repeatable thing is you do need a mostly procedurally generated or at least, like, things can be in different positions on the map. So you don't know, you know, if the first clue you get is where the fish looks out to sea, then you don't know, well, the fish is always in the northeast, you know, on the northeast coast or whatever. That has to be able to be shifted around. 
And then so then, then, then it means that you need to be able to go, okay, what's available in this area? And you go to the information. Well, I don't. Know, I think that's almost too. Info I think what you need is that you have different ways then of finding out that information. So, like, if if the clue is that it is on the coast, you know, I think this is an island. So you could just. Well, I might get lucky. I'm just going to head in one direction. And see what I can see. And if I spot it, then I'll be the first one to spot it because, you know, if I got lucky. Or it could be, well, actually, I'm going to try to get as high as I can with a telescope, look for it. And now I know which direction to go. Even though it took me some time to get up there, now I know exactly where I need to go for that clue. So, that sort of thing, like- It's said to look out for for where the light hits the sea. Well, obviously, that's the lighthouse. Get up high, find out where the lighthouse is on this island. Find out where the lighthouse is, Yeah. And maybe there are multiple lighthouses, though. Like, and then you just got to look at the second clue. clue or there's a, yeah, it's like where where Harold, you know, dips his hat or something like that. And it's <laughs> like, okay, you got to find, you know, the one where Harold used to used to run the. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, the I think what you need is that there are like that. there are a limited number of sort of types of clues. So the players will get used to that. It's not just completely out there every time, but enough that you don't necessarily know how it's going to be revealed at any point. So it could be, maybe there is an information booth, but it's not just this is here and this is here and this is here. It's like you go there and there are a bunch of pamphlets and it might be like, see Harold the wild seal as he, you know, and it's got a picture of him wearing a funky hat. Yeah, it's like, Oh. And so that's how you determine that that, that clue makes it's, sense. It's and the lighthouse near SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and and I think then also that each clue will probably need multiple ways to be able to, for any person to be able to find it. So again, if you get high enough and you've got a telescope, maybe you can just see there's like a big statue of Harold the, heel, the seal there with Harold written there or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I kind of see it as almost a, an amazing race sort of thing as well. That you've yes, you, when you get to each of these places, then you may have to do something there, but less so less so much that you that you're lining up and you're getting a getting a point where if you're well in the lead, that you're definitely going you're going to win because everyone's lining up behind you and you've got to finish it, and then you can no, move no, straight no. away. I think it's more of a you'd have to come up with ways to make that a bit more even for. Yeah. But having said Amazing Race, I do actually like the idea of playing this in pairs. Oh, yeah. That you're, that you're in teams of two or more, I guess, potentially, but you'd need to make it even. So that you can be working out the clues together, but then also potentially, yeah, doing things to like, oh, while you guys are working that out, I'm just going to go slash the tires on this car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You would obviously need ways to maybe fend people off in some way, like if you see him going through your car- then you can steal their cars, you know, and you got you got maybe like yeah. at at the at the last lighthouse, you picked up the hot wiring kit because because you were there first, so you can you know well take their car. Also, or- yeah, yeah. It could also just be that there are just a ton of vehicles in this world. Some faster than others. Some faster than others. Some hold all all you know. Some hold both of you, but some are just single things. So like. Yes, one person can go ahead, but the other person needs to find a different vehicle to, to follow. But because you, you, may, you may come across the bus timetable that actually says, 
the only way to get there at the moment is via the shuttle or whatever because of right. roadworks that are happening here. And it's like, because you notice that, you can actually get there. And when people- Yeah, or, or there's things like, um, there's a, what do you call that? Like enclosed ski lift sort of thing, like a trolley system or whatever, going down a big mountain. What would that be called? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Gondola sort of- Like a gondola sort of system. But that only runs on certain schedules. Yeah. And so you can get down there just via the roads, but it takes a lot longer. But if you manage to get there at the right time and catch the gondola, then you can get down there. So, like, you'll have things where it's like, they're right behind us. The gondola is about to leave. You know, and then you look out to the side slow, and you see- Slow them down. You see Jeremy and Peter, you know, grab a hang glider and just go- go flying down the mountain is like oh fuck i didn't realize that there was a fucking hang glider <laughs> yes and i love that i love being able to put things in like that but they're risky some things are riskier than others so yes they could both take the hang glider <laughs> but if they it's don't only built work for one. together yeah if they don't work together it's going to go unbalanced they're going to end up in the ocean or they're going to end up you know on the side of a cliff and, and have a hard time catching up uh, but if it works well, they're going to be way ahead for this next clue. I just like the idea of this amazing race sort of thing of, well, it's it's sort of almost like it a- It feels like a cross fall between guys. Fall Guys <laughs> yep. and PUBG. Yeah, but where obviously you are, you're going to live through through the entire thing. Yes. Everyone's got the chance of, of winning at all stages. Because even if you're really far behind, they may not be able to work out that last clue. So you've always got the chance that. that yeah, well, it could be that. It could be that that last clue, or that last thing, requires a bunch of clues, that, you, and you don't know which ones it's going to require necessarily. So you could, if you take a bit more time to gather more clues for that last clue, you're maybe more likely to get it. But you're risking that they'll get it with fewer clues just because. They're smarter, or they managed to understand it, or whatever. They managed or they to see had, that they got, the right, they got the right ones. Like at the very start, you they managed to notice that billboard that actually said, "You know, see Harold at SeaWorld yeah. now." And yeah. so they they picked up that Harold and his hat. Oh, that's got to be that seal. Like, there's enough billboards around, but if you haven't noticed that there was something about, you know, a specific seal that was now showing at SeaWorld, <laughs> you didn't know that you had to go to SeaWorld. <laughs> Love that Harold and his hat. Harold the seal wearing his hat has just become a key um, example of a clue for this game. Why the fuck not? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it would, be, it would be really tricky to balance and to get the clues procedurally generated right to make it replayable enough and not get boring. But I do like that idea of, yeah, going down that Fall Guys route a bit where it's hard. It's hard to be, you know, the first one there. And having to do without, skill- Yeah, you know, having to skills. do skill checks and, and, and yeah. guess things or, or get things right as a team when you've got people hot on your trail. Mm. Like, I think the balance would really be around you can't let anyone get too far ahead. Um, and whether you do some sort of, I don't know if you can really enforce that in a, in a world like this or whether you start giving hints or something to people who are really far behind. But yeah, I think it needs to, it needs to have that feeling of, cause I think there is a scene 
um, that I've seen reference to where it's just all these people in their different vehicles all heading to the same spot because they know now this is the last, like, this is the clue, this is the place. And whoever gets there first is going to get it, you know? What if the the final thing that happens is when someone actually unlocks the final clue, after a minute, a broadcast goes out to everyone yeah. else saying the final location is here. Yeah. So they get a little bit of a head start, but you know that you're not just going to be able to solve it while everyone's two two more clues behind. So yeah, that could be that could be cool. It's kind of like a this has been solved. Now everyone needs to needs to um, everyone gets gets the clue. It sort of gets sent out after after yeah. a minute. I think you'd have to have like maybe the faster you get there, the more of a head. Well, I guess that gives you too much. I'm just trying to think like you don't want it to come down to always just come down to that final clue. And it's like, well, we might as well just start the game at the final clue. Yeah, but I'm thinking it doesn't go out to everyone until someone progresses through. So it's not- No, I, I know. It's more just like if someone progresses through and then that clue goes out to everyone in the world, if, if it's literally only that little minute, like that, or those last like five minutes of the game that it always comes down to for- uh, like basically, if not if everything you've done before that doesn't even really affect that last five minutes of the game, then the whole game might as well be that last clue. Do you know what I mean? So I think you'd have to have it be that the preparations you've done, or the other clues you've solved, or the number of clues you've solved, all will help you in that final clue. Or depending on how much you've done in the in the final things depends on when you get it. Like the maximum yeah, maximum is like yeah. two minutes out. But if you're if you're just behind just behind the um the people, like you're literally like you've got the same amount of clues, you're only, you know, twenty odd meters away from from doing the clue, you get it ten seconds after after they get it. So right. you are sort of or, you know, twenty seconds. So they only get a small head start. But yeah, if you if you're back at the out. first one, you get it in two minutes. Like you've almost got no chance of of winning this. Yeah. Well, I think I think it would be interesting also to bring it down to again sort of weighing that up about taking more times to maybe solve more clues versus trying to get to the end clue fastest where if you've taken that, that extra time then yes that 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 they get a bit of a head start before that announcement goes out. But they may not have enough information to solve that clue quickly. So, you know, oh, we've spent a bit more time getting more resources, essentially getting more clues. If we head there right now, we could still beat them to it, even though they've had an extra minute on us or whatever it is. And so that, again, is a strategy of when you start, it's like, okay, are we going to just try to get straight to the final clue as fast as we can and and hope that we can solve it before others get there? Or are we going to spend a little bit more time, gather stuff? We still might get there first and then we'll have a better chance of- solving it when we do, or someone else might get there first, but, hey, we we still have a good chance because of the extra preparation we've done. Something I would like to bring in is, I mean, one of the things that you can do in, in like, The Amazing Race and these sort of things is is talk to people. And right. f- and maybe just by having a couple of conversations with these people, you can find out random facts about what's going on in the mm. world. So, you, you may see someone and say, look- I'm trying to get a hint on this particular clue. So you can actually, depending on how how 
who you happen well, to you talk could, to depends yeah. on the sort of quality of the of the. I mean, thing you could saying. potentially do, again, and I don't know how long one of these games would go for and whether it would make sense, but you could allow for like alliances to form or trades to happen. And I mean, you maybe just like don't have a natural mechanic for it. It's just if the players decide to do that, then they do it. Um, but as long as they've got a way to talk to each other or communicate with each other in some way, that yeah, you could have systems in place that allow them to to work together briefly. But then when they're going to get to that final clue, it's like everyone for themselves. You know, there's still only going to be one winner. Uh, and yeah, really play out those. Um, <laughs> those reality TV tropes of the way that people work together until it comes down to the end. Yep. I love it. That's cool. All right. I think, uh, I think that's it for this week. It, uh, I feel like it started out slow, but then really ramped up, ramped up, had some really interesting ideas in there. So that was good. If you'd like to find us online, check out our previous few hundred episodes just about uh go to podchaser.com slash bitstorm have a look there have a look at all our previous episodes try something you know what try just searching for a word that interests you there's probably an episode that involves it (laughs) (laughs) have a listen to that shoot us a review do you like the song that we play at the start and end of each episode that song is called mount defiance and it's on the album containment value by the band kuradast just search for their band camp and you can download it for free. That's right. So thank you again for joining us this week on Bitstorm. I'm Ben Slinger. I'm Travis Scott. Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs>